0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Zest, the official podcast of Orange Coast Magazine. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Natalie Bukos. She is the Director of Media and Public Relations for Amen Clinics, as well as the Executive Producer for the Scan My Brain series, which is hosted by the Amen Clinics founder and celebrity psychiatrist, Dr. Daniel G. Amen. The show's featured guests such as singer Megan Trainer, as well as the New York Times bestselling author and podcaster, Jay Shetty. Thank you so much for being here, Natalie. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Of course. Um, so we have something very special in common, and it's actually how we first met. We are both dachshund moms.
1: <laughs> I love that for us. I, I know you know, what's so funny is that I actually, I actually grew up with dachshunds. So my family had one a short hair, and oh. she was the light of my life. She was amazing, and now into adulthood, I have now had long hair dachshunds, and. It's actually. I feel like it's part of my brand. You know, it's you it's, it's a part it. of who I am. Oh my gosh, I love that.
0: Yeah, I was so excited getting to meet you at the park, and then also like I've never seen my dog be excited to meet another dachshund. Like, never. He's never excited to meet another dog, and it was like the first time he's ever been excited. So I feel like there's a sixth sense among dachshunds or something like that.
1: I always say that they enjoy their own kind. Exactly. <laughs> like if they my my dog, she's so funny. She um, is very much like a mama's girl and just wants to hang with me. But when she meets another Dachshund, she's very interested. So I'm I'm not surprised, but it's yeah. super <laughs> cute to watch them interact because they are such like loyal one person uh, dogs for sure.
0: But totally so sweet. He's loyal to my husband. Um, <laughs> they always have one I, person. They do, yeah. <laughs> but um, after I met you, I ended up following you on Instagram, and you just have like the most amazing, incredible, inspiring story. And I've just been so looking forward to getting to talk with you again and learning more about you.
1: Oh, thank you so much for saying that. It has definitely, it has definitely been a journey. But I assume we'll probably start from the top. Um, I, my life changed um, in an instant when I was fifteen. And before, um, before I kind of dive into my life altering incident that I had was I, I grew up in Huntington beach, um, went Same. to Edison high school. <laughs> yeah. no <go Chargers>. Um, <laughs> yeah. but I was a super active young woman. I played softball. I played volleyball. I was a junior guard, um, just a really active young girl and had a lot of independence and, um, I was invited to go to Big Bear for a skiing trip. And um, being the active person that I am, I'm like, that sounds amazing. I'd love to go. Um, and when I got there, I uh, ended up sustaining a spinal cord injury. And I fractured my C5 and C6 vertebrae, which left me paralyzed from the neck down. Um, and for those of you who are a little bit unsure of the difference between being a paraplegic versus being a quadriplegic um being a quadriplegic means that you have four limbs that are affected so my arms my hands um and my legs uh versus being a paraplegic which is uh usually just uh paralysis and numbness and no feeling from your injury site down so your legs um arms are a whole different ball of wax um but i I feel like for for myself to say that the injury changed my life in a way that was um, catastrophic or life changing would be an understatement of the century. I mm-hmm. had never broken a bone <laughs> before I broke my neck and you know bruised my spinal cord, which is arguably the most important <laughs> uh, bone in your body. Um, it's responsible for so many different bodily functions, which I feel like in, in a lot of interviews that I've done a lot of conversations that I've had, um, it's not just not being able to feel certain limbs. There's also certain body parts, um, internal organs that stop working. And it was a long journey, uh, of recovery, uh, that I had to start that day.
0: Wow. So going back a little bit, um, how did the accident actually happen?
1: So I was skiing and um, I was skiing in Big Bear. It's very icy. As you know, it's a lot of man-made snow. It's not like Colorado or Utah where there's a lot of natural snowfall. And I was going too fast. Um, I caught some air and I ended up landing on my tailbone and enduring a whiplash injury and snapping my neck at my C5 and C6 vertebrae, which is about right here.
0: Wow. So just from the whiplash, it did that. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Whiplash could be that intense that it could break your neck. Uh,
1: Neither did I. (laughs) Um, But there's a lot of... I've met a lot of friends through my spinal cord injury journey that have been car accident victims or motorcycle victims. And arguably the same thing. You're either going too fast and you have all of that momentum to where your body almost kind of spins out of control because you're moving so quickly. And unfortunately for me, um, you know, it was on ice. So you imagine that there's not really an easy way to stop yourself. Uh, when you're on skis without either moving all the way forward and injuring yourself in that capacity. And for myself, it was, I, I fell down on my tailbone and then had the momentum of moving forward.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry. What, um, what happened next after you fell?
1: (sighs) Good question. Um, so when I fell, I actually never lost consciousness, which I feel like is always a question. People are like, Oh, did you, you remember falling? You know, what was it like? And really what happened was after I fell, I was actually face down in the snow. And as I was face down in the snow, um, I couldn't move anything. I couldn't move my head side to side. I couldn't roll over. Like I was like, um, just, I don't know, like the best way to describe it is like a noodle kind of in the snow. And so um, I had to wait for the paramedics to get there. And um, for somebody that has a spinal cord injury and they're saying that they can't move, the last thing that you want to do is try to move them. So right. I remember being face down in the snow, kind of sitting there and being like, did I break every bone in my body? Did I break both of my shoulders? Did I break my legs? Like, why can't I move?
0: Could you breathe? And,
1: uh, barely. Yeah, very, very faintly. But I don't think um, the panic didn't start until I got into the ambulance, which I'll, I'll get there in a second. But after they get me um, from the snow, and then they put me in the stretcher. And as I'm in the stretcher, there was this really sweet um, paramedic, and you know, they're trying to calm me down. And they're talking with me. And they do this. um, They do this test where um, they determine whether you're going to go to a trauma hospital versus a general hospital. and so after explaining to them that I couldn't feel anything and I couldn't obviously couldn't move um, the paramedic he squoze my big toe and it was probably a moment that I'll never forget because I was looking at him like imagine this imagine looking at somebody touching an area of your body and you're watching them squeeze it and they're like you know I need you to let me know if you could feel this what it feels like if you can I'm like I can't I can't feel it I can't feel anything and they squoze again you can't feel it and I said no and then you know, the look on his face (laughs) was something that I will remember forever, because it was kind of a sheet white of Mm -hmm. this girl's 15 years old, and she just had a life changing injury. And I don't even think she knows it yet type of look. And so after that, um, they put me in the ambulance where I went alone, because I wasn't with any immediate family. So at 15, really scary. Um, But that um, that entire ride down the mountain, so from Big Bear all the way down the mountain, um, I was in the ambulance. And if you've ever been inside an ambulance, the best way I can describe it is: is <laughs> as loud as it is being on the outside of the ambulance, it's extremely loud on the inside. And oh, I
0: wouldn't know that. That's cool. really That's loud.
1: Really loud. Um, that is something where it took me years to be able to um, kind of unpack that sound. Wow. As it would propel later in other areas of my life, even just being at home, I would hear the ambulance and I would kind of emotionally and physically feel that feeling of like, wow, it feels like I'm going down the mountain again, type of trauma. Um and so anyways, they get me down the mountain and um, after that, since they determined that I needed to go to a trauma hospital, I was then airlifted to Loma Limba um, in a helicopter and oh, wow. I got there and um, then I had to go in for a neck fusion surgery, which I was really blessed because I was 15. I was technically determined still a pediatric. Uh, usually it's about 16 and older. You have to be you know, treated as an adult um, with adult surgeons and I had one of the best um, pediatric surgeons, neurosurgeons to do my surgery, which took about five and a half hours. Um, And then I woke up and my new reality kicked in.
0: Oh, man. Was the surgery immediately when you got there? Yes. Oh, wow. And then when you woke up, what were your thoughts?
1: I, you know, I don't really, I don't really remember exactly how I felt when I woke up, Mm. but... I remember um, probably about 10 hours after that. And I was thinking that I was in a really bad dream. It felt okay. almost surreal what I was experiencing. Because again, um, you know, picture a really young, vibrant, normal high school 15-year-old girl who hasn't ever had, has never been in the hospital, has never broken a bone um, to all of a sudden be in ICU, um, unable to feel anything. <laughs> determining if, um, cause kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, um, about spinal cord injuries, um, taking form in different ways with different body parts. And for C levels, if you think like Christopher Reeve, who, you know, had that horrible injury, um, but very high up in his, uh, cervical, uh, neck and whatnot, um, he had different systems that would stop working. Like for a lot of cervical injuries, you have to be intubated because both of your lungs collapse. And in my case, I had one lung that was a hundred percent collapsed. And then my second lung was about 60%. And so Mm -hmm. for the first two days, they were determining if I was going to have to be intubated. Um, and because I would, I wasn't able to breathe, uh, on my Mm -hmm. own, um, But by the grace of God, um, I did not have to be intubated. But the first four days I had to do ongoing breathing treatments um, just to be able to simply breathe. Wow. Were you in a lot of
0: pain at this point?
1: Yes. I, um, I didn't have any pain from my, I would say probably like my chest area down, but my neck and my arms had something called neurological pain, which is... I guess the best way you can describe it to someone who hasn't experienced it is when your legs fall asleep and they wake up and it's very um, fiery, burny, kind of feeling like you have ants tingling in your legs, Mm -hmm. uncomfortable all the time. So Mm -hmm. I had that from the back of my neck, all the way down to my arms and people would come into uh, the ICU to visit me. And what's the first thing that you want to do when you haven't seen someone or you care about someone you want to Hug them. Yeah, right. You want to touch them and tell them it's going to be okay. And we actually had signs. My parents put signs all over the house, uh, all over my hospital room that says, "Do not touch her. Um, don't touch her arms. Horrible nerve pain." And that lasted for about, mm, I would say, about two and a half months. Oh um, wow, that's a long that, time. It is a long
0: time. Yeah. Uh, what like helped get past the pain? Medication. Oh, okay. Wow.
1: Yeah. Medication helped a lot, but there was, um, there was a lot of physical therapy, uh, that I did starting all the way, you know, starting in the ICU, really the goal was to be able to just get me, uh, to be able to sit up in a chair, which, (laughs) I sometimes mentally can't even think about it because it, it brings back so much past pain of just the trauma and, and physical pain of sitting in the chair for the first time, not even the aspect of like, this is my new reality in a wheelchair, but how much pain I had. And the best way I can describe it is that my head Mm. felt like a bowling ball on a rubber neck. Oh wow! Because I had so my head was so heavy and my neck was so fragile, and I had so much nerve pain from my neck all the way down that they would say, "Okay, we're going to put you in a wheelchair for twenty minutes or thirty minutes." And keep in mind that I had the collapsed lung issue, um, the head experience that I'm describing to you, and I have no balance, I have no feeling. I also have low blood pressure, which is a very common oh, thing with people that have cervical injuries. So think of anybody um, that is experiencing that that's listening, it, it pretty much means that every time you sit up or sit down, you kind of have like a head rush, you might get a little dizzy. So combine all of that together and put me in a chair for the first time in arguably top five worst moments uh, of my life that I had to go through. It's
0: oh, wow. Yeah. What were the doctor's prognosis at this point?
1: Not good. Um, usually with spinal cord injuries, um, there's two different types of spinal cord injuries. So there's incomplete injuries, which basically means that you do not sever your spinal cord. That is the injury that I had versus complete injuries, which your spinal cord is fully severed, meaning that there are no um different types of uh, notifications going all the way down from your injury site to your limbs, which is why you can't feel things or you can't move and, and things like that. So that was a blessing in my uh, diagnosis, but it was very much like she has to get used to her new normal and um, she's not going to be independent. She's going to have to be cared for her entire life. Financially, she won't be um, able to take care of herself. And many people that do endure spinal cord injuries, uh, they do live on disability. Um, And unfortunately, the cost of having a spinal cord injury is extremely astronomical um, in regards to your physical therapy, uh, just having, buying a wheelchair, um, having one that's custom fit to you, having a car that has a ramp that you can get in and out of. um, And let's not even get started on (laughs) having a home That's accessible without stairs, without, you know, steps to get in and out of your house. Um, so it 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 doesn't just change your life, the person who's going through the spinal cord injury as much physical pain and mental pain as they're in, but it also there's it, it encompasses so many other areas of their life, their living situation, finances, family, et cetera.
0: Wow, I I had no idea the extent that's so horrible. Um So how long were you in the hospital for?
1: I was in inpatient uh, for about a month. And then I went to outpatient therapy, which is where my rehab started, uh, where I started doing physical therapy, pretty extensively, occupational therapy, which is um, what they do to help you get better feeling and mobility in your hands. Mm -hmm. And basically teaching you how to become independent to the best degree that they can teaching you how to learn how to get dressed again, teaching you um, how to feed yourself. It's pretty much like um, the best way I can describe a spinal cord injury is, is like having your hard drive wiped. And then having to relearn everything again, as a 16 year old young woman, um, being able to, you know, like I said, get dressed, brush your teeth, uh, brush your hair, uh, feed yourself, uh, take a shower, very simple, basic tasks that, uh, we all take for granted. I definitely took for granted before I became disabled.
0: Yeah. Um, what, um, so at what point were you able to get some movement back?
1: So at six weeks, I was able to wiggle my left big toe. And in spinal cord injury land, that is incredible because that means that you have a a signal coming all the way from your injury site all the way down. And um, this is a funny story. Um, Funny (laughs) now that I've been through it, but not funny then. Um, So that was at about six weeks. I was still an inpatient and I had this really smart neuroscientist. You know, doctor, he would come in every single morning and basically do their med checks. How are you doing? Any changes, et cetera? And my mom was with me. Her and my dad would switch off every single day um, and, and stay with me. And I was so excited to share with him that I had wiggled my toe and I showed him. And, oh. you know, we were over the moon excited. And he looked at me dead in the eyes at 15 years old and he said, That could be a reflex. And even dead people can do that. Oh my God. And so I, it is awful. And I was shocked. So I didn't say anything. Of course, my mom, who is the strongest, most bold, authentic Italian woman takes (laughs) him outside and she goes, she is a 16 year old girl who, you know, had this horrible thing happen to her. You're going to go back in and change your attitude and change your demeanor. And come back with a better, positive outlook the next day. And oh my God, the, next, I love the that. next day, he came in so chipper, so positive, <laughs> And it was a completely different doctor. But um, to say that that would be the only instance that I experienced, um, not great bedside manner in regards to my injury. Um, uh, yeah, that just wouldn't be the case.
0: <laughs> wow. You dealt with that a lot?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's so awful. A lot. Yeah, I had a lot of really amazing nurses, but I definitely had a lot of very cynical um, doctors. That was, oh. very, you know, it was very, it wasn't very optimistic. My diagnosis wasn't optimistic, um, and I'm not the only one. I mean, I've met so many uh, amazing individuals that have unfortunately had spinal cord injuries, and they have experienced similar interactions. Which
0: wow, we
1: could do better. <laughs> we yeah, could do for, better for real. Yes.
0: <laughs> um. So did it feel like amazing to prove him wrong though, because you eventually got movement in your, what came next to your arms or? Yes.
1: Yeah, so I was able to move my arms and the pain subsided a little bit when I was able oh. to do more extensive physical therapy. So um, I still didn't have great movement. Like I was able to kind of just like move my arms a little bit. Um, but my hands, I wasn't able to grip anything. I wasn't able to open and close my hands. Um, so that was a big, part of our journey to be able to help me become a little bit more independent in that aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, and then after that, after I was done with, um, my outpatient therapy, then I moved to a more extensive physical therapy that I did in Carlsbad called, um, project walk, which was, um, an out of the box, not, um, covered by insurance therapy that, um, was the place where I regained the most movement and feeling that I had because what they do in traditional physical therapy, which again, with a spinal cord injury, it just does not work. Because when you have a spinal cord injury, you don't have any feeling and you don't have any movement. And in physical therapy, you work on things that are a little messed up to try to get stronger. Well, I didn't Mm. have anything that worked. Well, at least. right, And, right. um, and so when I started going to this, uh, out of the box type of physical therapy down in Carlsbad, they focused on areas that I didn't have any movement in. Like they put me on a spin bike that had a little hoister and a little belt in the back. And they helped propel my legs when I couldn't push a bike. Um, they would put me in things called the standing frame, which basically was a big contraption, um, where it kind of propelled you to kind of go all the way up. And I would sit there for 15, 20, 30, working my way all the way up to an hour to improve my blood pressure. And, they really focus on things that I didn't have so that I could get stronger. I could have weight bearing on my limbs and it changed my life. Um, the next thing I was able to do was obviously, like I said, move my arms more, but then I was able to feel certain areas of my leg. Um, I was able to stand um, wow. and then it takes. Yeah. So that takes us kind of all the way to my high school graduation where I was able to walk across the stage and, I was in a walker and I was able to take steps to get my diploma, which was a really big goal uh, for me. So, but that was, you know, from my injury, that was about two and a half years.
0: Wow. And so I I wanted to circle back a bit. You graduated high school on time, right? I graduated on time. Yes. That's amazing. Like with the pain and the rehabilitation, everything you're going through. I'm just, I'm curious to know, how are you able to achieve that? That's amazing.
1: Thank you. Um, I, I did homeschooling for about a year and a half. So mm. I was injured my um, winter of my sophomore year. So the rest of the year I was homeschooled. And then the following year, I was homeschooled the entire year because I, it was impossible to be able to go to school full time and then go to Carlsbad and do physical therapy full time, which, um, I think for me was probably the best thing to do because um, it helped me become so much stronger, so much more independent. And to be honest, I, I just didn't have a lot of things in common with a lot of people in my class anymore, which was really hard to kind of come to that conclusion because my focus was solely, it was kind of like being an Olympic athlete, like, or like an elite gymnast where you're in the gym for three hours in the morning, then you have your lunch, you do a little bit of homeschooling, then you're in the gym again and, you know, come back to the gym and you're doing it over and over every single day. And, um, that's kind of how my life was for, for two years. Um, I decided to go back to school, um, for senior year. So I just took a couple of electives Mm -hmm. and, um, and I did the rest at homeschool and it was really, it was really great to be able to kind of reconnect with some of my classmates and just be in a very, uh, similar environment to what I was doing for the past, you know, year and a half. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: then I was able to graduate with my class and focus on where I wanted to go next.
0: Right. And, um, I did want to ask, so you played a bunch of sports at, when you were younger yes. um what sports did you play in high school and also can you explain what an attitude means i love
1: yes this. okay so i played volleyball and softball in high school and then i also played softball um at a club level since i was gosh maybe like 8 years old and wow. i wanted to play d1 softball in uh in college and that was my goal from the second i got into high school um obviously got a little disrupted with my injury but that All was right. that was what i wanted to do um, and that kind of takes us to an attitude pretty naturally. So <laughs> when I was younger, that was my nickname, playing softball. And um, when I was younger, younger, I did ASO and I did soccer and everything. And um, And it, I think, more so started because I've always been very sassy, very upbeat, and you know, I think my family just, it was a pretty natural nickname because it was not an attitude put in one and, and take <laughs> it either way. I mean, sometimes it was a good attitude, sometimes it wasn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when I got hurt there, I had so many amazing friends and community members, people that didn't know me or my family kind of rally around me. And they kind of naturally started this campaign called Natitude. And they made bracelets, there was shirts made, there was a lot of amazing fundraising efforts uh, made on my part to help me pay for this out of the box physical therapy that I was going to need to go to. And um, it just stayed with me. And the best way to describe an attitude now, I feel like um, from my injury to where I'm at now is that it's just a combination of having a positive attitude and having ongoing effort, uh, no matter what you're doing. And for me, there was a lot of days where, you know, people always tell you to give it, give it a hundred percent, give it your all. Well, what about when you don't have a hundred percent? Um, what about when you have 10%, what about when you have 2%? Um, and my motto has always been give a hundred percent of whatever you have. And that has taken me in rooms and opportunities. Um, and, and, and in goals in my body and my recovery that I had never dreamed of. And I really believe that it's because of my effort. I do believe it's because of my attitude. I do believe it's because of my willingness to not give up despite all of the odds against me. But mm-hmm. now, now we talk about an attitude in corporate world, which looks a whole <laughs> lot different. <laughs>
0: and we will get to that. I'm so excited to talk about your career. But um, first, you got into USC. I did, which is incredible. Um, and I heard you tell a really sweet story about um, how your now fiance helped you move into your dorm. Do you mind? Sharing yes.
1: That? Oh my gosh. Yes, he's amazing. Um, we were actually really good friends uh, for quite some time. We went to the same high school together, but we were in different friend groups. But then we reconnected right before I uh, started at SC, mm-hmm. and we just we just developed such a beautiful friendship um, for so long. And I feel like he has been the only person throughout my injury that I've had an an intimate relationship with where I felt comfortable enough to share so many different areas of my life, personal areas of my life without fear of feeling different or judged. Because let's be real, dating is scary, but dating with a spinal cord injury is even scarier. So, um, but he's just, is an amazing person. And I'm just really lucky to have somebody in my life that has always supported me no matter what, but also makes me feel like there's nothing we can't accomplish together.
0: Oh, that's amazing. When Thank do you guys you. get married? Well, we were supposed to get married during COVID and then
1: COVID happened. So we planned a couple of different options that were much larger, but now we're gonna do something <laughs>
0: smaller. So uh, more to come yeah. when I have more details. Oh, it's exciting. Um, Okay. So you ended up Oh, actually, I want to talk about um, Swim With Mike. During your time at USC, you worked with this nonprofit. That sounds just amazing. Okay. So Swim With
1: Mike is a 501c3 that supports physically challenged athletes to attend the school of their dreams. So I was introduced to Swim With Mike by two board members when I was actually at Project Walk doing my rehab. And at that time, I believe I was maybe 18 years old and I was just about to graduate from high school. And they were like, Hey, Natalie, have you ever heard of this organization called swim with Mike? It's, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, and I'm like, no, I, I haven't. And they're like, well, have you considered where you wanted to go to college? And to be honest, in my mind, I'm like college. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to be independent. I had all the self doubt. I was like, how am I going to be independent enough to do this? Am I smart enough? You know, all of the things. Right. And they're like, well, why don't you just apply for the scholarship and see what happens? And I'm like, Okay. So I applied for this one with Mike scholarship and I applied to get into USC and I'm like, okay, well, if it's meant to be, it will be, and we'll just take it from there. And so I got this one with Mike scholarship, which covers full board tuition. Um, it's basically a full athletic scholarship. So, and that was the first news that I got. And I'm like, okay, well, if swim with Mike believes in me, then maybe USC will take a chance on me, and 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 I'll be able to attend my dream school. And sure enough, a couple of weeks later, I got my acceptance letter, and I was just over the moon with excitement. But to be honest, also quite nervous. Um, I had never lived away from my family, and I also counted on my family a, a lot as as caretakers, as people that helped me get to and from. And yeah, it was scary, but I was going to embrace it. And I wasn't going to let my injury take that opportunity away from me.
0: Definitely. And you ended up graduating with a bachelor's degree in public relations. You yes. made the Dean's List. And you're I in did. the society. That's like... Yes so impressive. Thank you so much. It was, it was,
1: I had the best experience at USC. Um, I studied in my opinion, in one of the best communication schools, um, the Annenberg school of communication and journalism. And what was amazing about USC is obviously, um, the campus is incredible, but we had so many incredible guest speakers, um, from different, uh, businesses, entrepreneurs, organizations, musicians, thought leaders that came in and, not only spoke to us about curriculum and you know things like that, but more so discussed their willingness, kind of like attitude their willingness to not give up on things that they believed in projects that they believed in movies they wanted to produce when everyone told them that it wasn't going to be a hit. Um, and that type of, um, just motivation and inspiration has uh, really inspired me in so many ways. And, um, there's just, I, I ended up working at the Annenberg uh, TV network for a couple of years during my time as well. Cause for a while, I thought I wanted to be a sports journalist, but Hmm. life took a different direction.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of, so you graduated in 2015, mm-hmm. and that same year you started working with Amon Clinics. I did. So I first learned about um, Dr. Amon on the Kardashians.
1: <laughs> that uh, is incredible. I'm going to tell him he said that because that's incredible. Yeah. He's yeah. he is um, just the most forward thinker, uh, maverick in his space, and it's I've learned so much uh, during my time with him. But he's incredible.
0: Yeah. Can you, can you kind of explain like what he does?
1: Yeah. So Dr. Eamon is a double board psychiatrist. He is a 12 time New York times bestselling author. He has produced over 19 public television specials on neuroscience and the brain. Um, he also hosts his own show, which I'm the executive producer of called scan my brain, which invites, um, some of the world's top thought leaders, artists, uh, People like Leanne Rhines, Jay Shetty, um, you know, and uh, Danica Patra, actor- like actresses, things like that, um, into our clinics to be evaluated. And Dr. Amen also owns 11 uh, locations in the United States, um, outpatient clinics that help people better their mental health. But the unique uh, aspect of our business is that we... Do brain spec scans uh, at our clinic, which are scans that measure blood flow and activity in the brain. And we help people with behavioral disorders, uh, disorders like ADHD, anxiety, depression, cognitive issues. Uh, the list goes on. And um, it's it's a very innovative way to uh treat mental health issues, um, something that not a lot of organizations uh, ha- are doing.
0: Definitely. How did you come to work there?
1: So I had read Dr. Eamon's book, Healing ADHD, and I remember thinking, This is incredible. He describes seven different types of ADHD. And I remember thinking, like, who is this guy? He is he's so ahead of his time. At that time in my life, I had a lot of people in my life that struggled with ADHD and also struggled with aspects of ADHD, like impulse control and addiction. And I was really interested in understanding more about it. Because obviously, as somebody who has struggled immensely physically, I have been blessed enough to not struggle mentally with, you know, depression or anxiety or ADHD. I guess God said, like, she gets the physical aspect, but we'll give her the rest. <laughs> yeah. um, but I was fascinated by it, and then um, at that time, I had just graduated, and I didn't want to live in LA, and I wanted to move back to Orange County, and so I was like, "Well, um, I want to see if they're hiring. Like, let's let's see, you know, you know, if any of my expertise fit in what they're looking for." And so I started working for his wife, Tana Amen, who is the lifestyle. Um, sector of aiming clinics. So she focuses predominantly... She's also a best-selling author, focuses okay. predominantly on um, integrative health. So different types of wellness, diet, nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, mindset. And um, I started working for her as a marketing coordinator. And oh, wow. that's kind of where our story starts.
0: Wow. And now you're the director of media and public relations.
1: And yeah, that's amazing. It's, it's been such a fun journey. Um, You know, kind of understanding what people are looking for and seeking digitally. And I feel like for um, many people, especially during the pandemic, it was such a vital time for our content to be heard globally. And there's been so many opportunities that we've had really amazing podcasts like Kardashians that you just said, but there's been a lot of buzz around mental health at this time, and really within the last five years, more athletes, celebrities, influencers have been more open and vulnerable about their own mental health struggles, which if you think about it now, mental health and talking about mental health is is a lot more accepted than it's ever been, which, um, you know, for our organization, really, that has been the goal for for decades, doctor eamon Amon's been in business for about 33 years. And the goal has always been to destigmatize mental health issues um, across the board, but it's also been to change the conversation from mental illness to brain health. And, um, it's been amazing to be able to align with thought leaders and, um, you know, other high profile, uh, celebrities that share the same interest to want to be able to talk about their experiences in a way that helps others. And for us, we can talk about our treatments that kind of melded together can, you know, do the universal experience as well.
0: Wow. That's so incredible. Um, for everybody listening, it's on YouTube, right? It's on
1: YouTube. Yes, you can watch the show on YouTube. And if you want to get daily content from Dr. Amen, you can follow him on Instagram and TikTok. He posts a new video every single day and his handle is at doc underscore amen, like a prayer.
0: Amazing! I follow him on TikTok. <laughs> I do love it.
1: Um, oh, he's—we're our, our team has the our team has the funnest time on TikTok. It's always we had started out during the pandemic, and it was such a fun experience to be able to—I don't know—just create content that people were uh, looking for, but also that they were really interested in. Like our top three things that we talk about really across the board has been anxiety, depression, and ADHD. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so many people struggle with it. And yeah. some people actually struggle with it. They don't even, they haven't even gotten a proper diagnosis. And we see a lot of younger, um, you know, children that struggle with it. But we also see a lot of adults that uh, get diagnosed. Anxiety.
0: <laughs> I have that. <laughs> but I love yeah, but it. it uh, took videos, like help so much like understanding it better and um, how to like, not overcome it, but deal with it in a healthy way.
1: Oh, totally. He's, um, he really is great at breaking it down and making very clinical medical information, um, yeah. much more digestible. And, you know, especially with our scan, my brain series, if people are interested in, in watching it, um, as Chelsea said, you can watch it on YouTube. Um, but you would be surprised. This is the, you like, I feel like universal, underlying theme that I've heard, and we've done over 135 episodes now, but the universal theme of what people are experiencing, whether they're an A-list celebrity to a musician to an athlete, is that the self-limiting belief of that they're not enough.
0: Yeah. And wow. I'm talking
1: about I'm talking about, you know, the the ju- like the Justin Biebers of the world and, you know, Leanne rhymes and professional athletes that are incredibly successful feeling like they're not worthy, they're not enough, um they're not doing enough and um and you know, we just don't talk about it enough. It's mm-hmm. just like if nobody's sharing um, you know, all of their I don't know, hardships on social media is much more of a highlight reel. So it feels really fulfilling to work in a profession that values realness and authenticity. Um, and also not just butterflies and rainbows. We're all going to go through something eventually. Um, it's actually, uh, there was a recent statistic that came out a couple of years ago that said one in two people will develop a mental health issue at some point in their life. That's 50%. It's more common to have an issue than it is to not. Um, (laughs) And if you don't develop something, then um, you will likely love someone that does. So mental health issues affect us all.
0: And that brings me back to why I love following you on Instagram so much. Um, One of the videos, I think you posted on Instagram or YouTube. I stalked both. But um, you posted a video of (laughs) you going back to Big Bear um, where you had your accident.
1: Yes. And it's so funny that you bring that up because, um, right now on my channel, we're doing 29 days of Natalie, which Mm -hmm. is basically, um, it it was an I feel like an inspiration for me because December this month is the month that I had my injury. It was on December 29th. And so every single December, I always kind of feel this heaviness, uh, in me and I'm a very positive person. I, really do the best I can to kind of distract myself, stay busy, you know, really go deep into my faith. But, um, I do feel a heaviness. And so I thought this year, something that could be really fun to do is to actually share that with people. And so I developed 29 days of Natalie where every single day for the month of December, leading up to my accident, I was going to share, um, Some aspect of my day that brought me joy. So, whether that was walking my dog, um, going to a work conference, doing a shoot, something, um, I would share that online. And so that's kind of, we're on day 14 today. So, that's what I've been up to. But the finale is I'm going to actually, so the video that you're referencing, that was in the summer. And I've actually never been to Big Bear in the winter when it snows. And um, that was just something that I was never interested in doing maybe subconsciously, I didn't feel like I was ready to do. And the finale for 29 Days of Natalie is actually going to be going to the snow and going to the spot where I fell. And I think the purpose behind wanting to do that is to show people and the goal has been this entire series that there are going to be things that happen to you, whether they're as severe as a spinal cord injury, I pray to God, it's not that whether it's, um, you know, a loss of somebody that you love or some form of a hardship, but there's so much of your life that doesn't have to have as much power as we let it, you know, whether it's okay. a breakup or a loss or something. But for me, that place held a lot of power over me and and my mindset and I feel like for a long time I let it determine what I could or couldn't do with my life just like I let sometimes things that other influential people would say like doctors like oh she'll never do this we give people so much power and places so much power by what we choose to let them have over me and for me I just that place doesn't get to reclaim any more of my life or what I decide to do with it or not do with it. So we're going to go back and we're going to take everybody along for the ride. So bring your tissues. Um,
0: (laughs) and it's going to be a very cathartic experience. Wow. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. So this will come out in January. Um, is it, it will be live.
1: (laughs) Page yeah. or your Instagram. It's going to be on my Instagram, um, but I might do a longer version for YouTube, like an updated version. So stay tuned for that too.
0: Great. Do you want to shout out your handle?
1: Yeah. So um, my handle is at Natalie N A T A L I E, and then my last name is Bucos, B as in boy, U as in unicorn, C as in cat, mm-hmm. H as in her, O as in Z. Can you tell mm-hmm. I practiced that a lot?
0: <laughs> <laughs> U as in unicorn.
1: Is cute. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I have to. It's it's funny. I've, if I've experienced my entire life of people being butchering my last name, and I'm like, you know what? We're just going to embrace it. <laughs> yeah,
0: love it. Um, so we're getting to the end of our time. Before I let you go, I have three final questions for you. Um, we call them our thoughtful three, and it kind of just reflects on your journey. Um, so what have you learned in terms of how to navigate challenges? You kind of touched on that a bit, but...
1: Yes, I think the biggest thing is for, that has been for my journey has been two parts. And the first one has been to never give up no matter um, what the feedback is that you get from other people, what maybe you tell yourself. Um, And the second piece is that it really doesn't matter how slow you go, um, whether it's you're rehabbing an injury, whether it's a career you're working towards. um, It doesn't matter how slow you go, just as long as you just don't stop. And having a spinal cord injury has not been a sprint Mm -hmm. (laughs) in terms of recovery. It has been an absolute marathon times 30. And there's so many uh, parts of my journey um, that I feel like have been such a blessing to me. And also, you know, so many hard things. But keeping moving forward, no matter what your circumstances are, is if anybody gets anything from this interview today, I hope it's that.
0: Yeah, that was actually one of my next questions. is If our listeners could take one thing away, what would it be? And there you go. Uh,
1: okay, yeah, that one. But also, like, my, I think my my secondary piece of that would be develop your own type of attitude um, if you have somebody in your life um, if you're trying to become more motivated if there's a job that you really want to land um, my best advice would you to be um, you know develop a positive uh, mindset around what you're trying to do align yourself with people that uh, believe in you and also that inspire you maybe you know it's it's a mentor maybe it's somebody that um, you know just has so much light around them that you want to be in their presence. And then the last part is like, just continue to put in effort. And it's like being in the gym. If you want to get, you know, if you want to lose weight, you eat better a couple of times a week. Um, you go to the gym more, you take more steps. It's the same thing for developing consistency and having a positive mindset. It's like you have to do all of those things. But you can't just do them on the weekends. You got to do them a little bit every single day, which has made, a huge impact in my life, uh, my personal life, my, my physical health, my career, et cetera.
0: Amazing. Um, and then lastly, what would you tell your younger self knowing what you know now? I love this question.
1: (laughs) Uh, I would tell her that put the goggles on, put the tunnel vision on and keep going. And that's actually, that kind of leads me into the whole my whole uh rebrand of my Instagram because there was a long time where I felt not necessarily inspired to share a lot of my life on Instagram because earlier in my injury so much of my life was shared and I just I didn't really have a, a large say in the narrative around what was shared because I was so deep in my recovery and this year I really said, you know what? I'm actually I actually want to show people And I want to show the 15 year old version of myself. Like if I was in the hospital at 15 and I opened Instagram and I saw the version of myself today who is really purposeful, works, you know, and at an amazing job has so much happiness and faith. Um, I would love if I could have seen my Instagram in my present day. And so that has just been the biggest shift in my year. I actually have a whole video coming out about that, but Amazing. I feel like that's something that we could all work on with our inner child, especially it's hard with social media. Cause you open it and you're like, Oh, this person has this, this has this. And then you start to evaluate yourself and you're like, well, I don't have that. Or what about that? Or what about that? Instead of just being so present and grateful for all that you have. We live in California. We, you know, you're able to be physically independent enough to walk, to, you know, eat, feed yourself, get dressed, get in your car, drive somewhere. There's, those are just luxuries that people have no idea how many people are praying for those. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. God, thank you so much for sharing your story. I, from all of your followers, we very much appreciate you sharing it. I've, when I was doing research on you, I felt, <laughs> um, when I was doing research on you, I just like felt so energized learning about your story. And I like found, found myself like taking just quotes that you would say just for myself, just for my own personal self. But, um, anyways, well, thank you so much for doing this. And I, I just really appreciate you being here and sharing everything that you did. And. Yeah, I'll probably see you at the park soon.